Welcome to Writing It, a podcast by Ed Adams. The Triangle, episode 17. Dirty Money, Here's How to Clean It, a novel by Ed Adams. Manus makes a new friend. Manus had wondered for several years about what would happen if ever anyone made him an offer he could not refuse. An offer to insulate him from the complicated life he had left since he left the army as a hero. He had not intended to get involved in semi-military protection of high-end criminals, but there was a buzz related to the activities unlike anything he could get in Civvy Street. He had been through several typical jobs after his honourable discharge from active service. He had asked directly about working through further special services, but there had been budget cutbacks that meant the best he was able to do was get outplacement, which led him to a mid-ranking job in a bank. This role had been madly inappropriate, and through an ex-contact he had ultimately fallen into his current line of work. It had a lot going for it, travel, excitement, use of his skills, and reasonably good money. But Manners knew that he was reaching the end. He had plenty of experience, but there are other Armani-suited professionals now on the market. There were slim-waisted girls with high-caliber protection skills and large-caliber guns. He needed to move to a new plan, and Darren Collins could be it. Let's talk, he said, putting Collins into a chair, showing him a large knife which he slid from behind his jacket, and then saying, Do you have some coffee? For an hour over two cups of coffee, Manners and Collins discussed a new business arrangement. Collins had money stashed away from the business he had been running. It was mainly the money that had caused the Arabs to challenge him when they visited his office. Collins had not been losing money. He had been swindling extra funds, which now formed the basis of his escape parachute. There is so much money I have a problem hiding it, said Collins. Yet it's only a small proportion of the money which the operation has been trafficking. You can almost name your price, said Collins. I need to be invisible. I need someone who keeps an eye on whether anything is showing or anyone is showing interest in what I do and maybe some invisible protection. Manners understood. It was the type of silent pr- protection offered to ex-presidents and senior politicians. Not flashy like pop stars or menacing like gangsters, but just quietly efficient. He could do this and do it well. He would enjoy doing it, and because Collins wanted to keep an international lifestyle, it would still give travel. Besides, Manners knew enough of the community to be able to reconstruct a past for Collins and himself and make them blend unobtrusively into whatever background he chose. Five million dollars and a regular monthly paycheck, said Manners. Collins laughed. I think we have a deal. They shook hands and Manners relaxed slightly, but still kept a grip on the handle of the hunting knife. Hammered out. In London, Fredrickson had been patient with Dylan. There had been legal matters to resolve and Dylan's lawyers were good. He had expected fly-by-night legal support, but Dylan had chosen wisely. The main terms of the deal were hammered out, without significant changes, and they were at the point of signing, along with an individual schedule, to handle the first few days of the process, during which the new systems and legal entities would ramp into production, along with initial transactions flowing through the system. They had arranged to meet again, this time in a secluded office in the centre of London, close behind the law courts. Fredrickson was amused to consummate their deal so close to the traditional legal powers of the United Kingdom. The deal was far from conventional. 
Fredrickson was ostensibly alone for this meeting also, but had nearby backup in case anything untoward was suggested. Dylan had arrived with legal brief in tow, and probably also had people out of sight. For the central part of the meeting, it was Dylan and Fredrickson. For the signatures, additional legal support attended for both parties. The papers were signed, and a new node covering about half of the old Collins Empire was created. It would take another three days for the system to reach capacity. Dylan left instantly a multi-millionaire and with a rate of personal growth of wealth outstripping most people on the planet. Fredrickson smiled, another cog replaced in the broken machine. ZRH to LHR, J-Class. Trying to get from Zurich to Heathrow on the first available flight in the morning meant that Big Sinclair had to travel business class. It was nearly ten times the amount they would normally pay for the same journey with their own money. Nonetheless, they were pleased to get seats and pleased to be able to spend a few minutes in the British Airways lounge at the airport. In hardly any time, they were back in London. A bright early morning giving a view of the one-time London Millennium Dome, now sponsored by a mobile phone company, and a clear landmark of London from the air. As the wheels finally touched down with a skid and a screech, Bixie and Claire looked at one another. They had another busy day ahead of them, vastly away from anything they knew a week ago. As a priority, they were going to link back up with Jake. They needed to communicate and to find out what had been happening. After the seatbelt lights binged out on the ground, Bixie flipped his phone on and called Jake. A few rings and Jake answered. Where are you? inquired Bixie. At Claire's came the reply. Jake had used his own instincts to stay hidden. As his own place had been turned over, in a way he didn't fully understand, and then Biggs's had been broken into. Jake was running out of places to hide. Claire was away, and as Jake had helped her move in, he remembered a key on his key ring, something he'd always meant to return but never got around to doing. Strangely, he got an almost sentimental attachment to it, something he'd never mentioned to Claire. I hope you don't mind, he continued. It is fine, came Claire's response. Big Sinclair headed for Claire's place. They used the underground and mused that the journey from Zurich was only about twice as long as the journey from Heathrow to central London. As Claire opened the front door of the flat, Jake came towards them, and they all found themselves hugging one another, which was not their normal behaviour at all. OK, so what next? questioned Bigsy. They needed to find a way to bring this runaway situation to a sensible and safe conclusion. But can we make any money from it? questioned Bigsy. We have spent rather a lot... They all looked at one another. Faux synchronisation. The security services message passed to GCHQ triggered some other events. As well as the four Arabs travelling to London, it also logged Fredrickson's move to London. This created some serious speculation that something would be happening. The serious crime unit had been notified because of the suspected links of the four Arabs with oil shipment-related crime, and the separate investigations about Fredrickson related to his relationships with suspicious business practices. Fredrickson was himself open in his movements, and the SCU had never been able to directly link him with any of the situations that had occurred in the past. It now looked, however, as if there was a synchronised approach of both groups to London. Of course, the real reasons for the link were not related to Fredrickson, but had been the effect of Amelia broke his phone calls, but this had heightened the sense that there was something about to happen. 
In a separate investigation, UK Customs had picked up a key Russian entering the UK and seen that two others accompanied him. The whole entourage from the Cannes meeting with Amelia Brophy were in London because two of them had flown from Cannes earlier in the week to attempt to eliminate Jake Lambers. Converging on London now were both the Saudi Arabians and the Russians. They were known by the UK authorities and both planning to meet Brophy separately in the same restaurant in Kensington. The authorities considered that there may be a meeting between the Arabs and Fredrickson and were going to take no chances in case of foul play during the session. A separate trace was in progress towards the two Russian assassins who had killed the police officers Truman and Green. Death of a cop was particularly bad in the eyes of the London police and so the heat had been turned up. The Vauxhall car damaged at the crime scene by the Russians had been discovered and because the Russians were expecting a more straightforward getaway they had been much less careful than they should have been about breaking into the car. They had made the most basic of mistakes by leaving clumsy fingerprints on the vehicle. These had meant the Russians could be identified. Both already had diplomatic status in the UK. The biometric scanning was on file and so the police had been able to identify them both. Because of the level of suspicion and linkage to the murder of two police officers, special powers were granted to set up a five-person tracking operation on the two Russians. The botched job Russians had not suspected the hunt which was in progress. Run with it. Bigsy and Claire were starting to explain to Jake some of the information that they had obtained from Darren Collins. Jake told them that once he realised how deeply he had become involved with the money laundering process, he had also identified that UK authorities would be severely challenged. Challenged to either round up the ring or to offer him protection in the aftermath of any investigations and trials. Therefore, Darren had decided to break away from HMRC for his own safety and to use the money he was processing to set up some separate funds so he'd have enough money to be able to disappear at some point. He needed to withdraw from his employers in Her Majesty's Government and the various shades of criminal that he was investigating. That was when he started to devise his three-stage plan. He wanted A. A lot of funds. B. Someone entirely anonymous to be able to report the situation independently. And C. Identification of his successors in the laundering business in case of his replacement. Big C and Claire understood this and that the meeting with Jake was a way to pass the information from Darren to someone else relatively random. By not having a predefined chain, it reduced the chance of being traced and would have broken the link to Darren. Darren had been stealthy but methodical about discovering his way his business had linked with others. The official reason he was doing this was part of his investigations, but he had rapidly seen the information as a useful bargaining collateral if ever things got tough. He had discovered that the operation was truly global, with a blend of illicit and legitimate businesses to cover tracks. So Darren had started to look at the companies with whom he interacted. He looked for the ones that were legal and straightforward, but also looked at companies that were similarly complex in the way that his own company operated. These were the companies most likely to be further nodes in the laundering process. On this basis, Darren had shortlisted the three companies most likely to be close copies of his environment and then had made contact with each of them. Darren had ruled out the applicability of one and this had left two where, in principle, there was a good fit. Darren had investigated the possible organisations and already knew the person running one of them. Although the companies in this organisation were somewhat dubious, there was something about their construction that made Darren think the organisation was not a convincing fit as a substitute for his own. 
Someone formerly unknown to Darren operated the other organisation. His name was James Dillon, and he moved in some of the same circles that Darren frequented. Darren's position had been propelled upward by the significant injection of cash from his business. But before that, Darren and James Dillon's paths were somewhat intertwined, even if they didn't know it. Darren had worked out that Dillon was probably a target for a similar role to the one he played. He didn't know how it would work, whether Dylan was in waiting, perhaps already recruited, and maybe even operating on a small scale. As someone on the inside, it had been made very clear to him that he should not ask questions or try to find out who else was involved, or how processes out of his own companies would operate. That had made Darren Collins' job much tougher, because he had needed to find out about things he had been expressly asked to avoid. His information was somewhat inconclusive, but he had told Big C and Claire his suspicions and supplied them with a large amount of data about the companies operated by Dylan. In the discussion in Zurich, a simple deal had been cut. Collins had handed over the information which he had, related to what he supposed was the creation of the new node. He suggested two ways that this could be used back in England. The first way was to provide the whole set of evidence to the police and let them take over. The other option, if Claire and Bigsy preferred it, was that they could do something directly themselves with the information. In the course of this, Collins had told them about the Arabs, Manners and Fredrickson, as well as the lead to Dylan. Darren said he did not now have a preference. The only condition from him was that whatever happened should not provide any further references to him. The faking of his death earlier had been effective and he did not want any resurrection of old facts. So Bigsy, Jake and Claire were now working out an angle on the best way to use the information they had. They knew about Darren, the triangle of trade, the probability of Dar Dylan as the new recruit, and the great level of danger if they made the wrong moves. So they started to describe some outcomes. Look, said Claire, I'm not greedy in this, but if there is a way to recoup our cost, or maybe a little bit more, then we should do it. We also need to stop the hunt for us by the Blue Flame or any of the other organisations. We also need to keep the police out of the way while we get the basics sorted out, said Big Z. They are bound to doubt some of what we tell them, in any case, and we don't want to be held up in police processes where we need the ability to move fast. All three nodded their agreement. They were going to run with this a little bit longer, 